0: There are countless individual quirks and characteristics that make you different from the other 7.9 billion people on planet Earth. But the most visible difference, the thing most intimately connected to your individual identity is without a doubt, your face. We intuitively know that everyone's face is unique, but what's harder to understand and to explain is exactly how one face is different from the next
1: faces are different, but they're also the same, right? They're unique and the same at the same time.
0: That's Kartik Kanan. He spent the last several years measuring and quantifying the human face to help make the world more accessible. In 2017, Kartik co-founded a facial recognition and computer vision startup called Envision. They make AI-assisted software and glasses that help the blind and visually impaired navigate the world. During his journey to digitally replicate the invisible computations our eyes and brain perform countless times a day, Kartik was amazed to learn just how much information we subtly communicate with our facial expressions.
1: You look someone in the eye and you can really know what their true intentions are when they're talking to you, You know, if they're lying to you, if they're happy or they're sad. There's a tell in the face and that nuance is something I think still till date AI struggles to really capture.
0: But AI is already pretty good at identifying different images and patterns. And the glasses he developed can recognize objects, read text, and provide a voice description of what's happening around the person who's wearing them.
1: Kartik won't soon forget the day they first came to life. We were just sitting in this room, and I'm putting on the glasses for the first time, and it just starts speaking out text that was in front of it. And then it was like capturing all that information and then speaking it out to me. It was insane.
0: And recent advances are helping these glasses do more than recognize objects and read text. Kartik has programmed them to recognize and describe human faces. This has huge implications for visually impaired people who, using this technology, can live a more independent and socially connected life. These remarkable glasses are part of a growing, steady torrent of innovation in facial recognition technology, which, incredibly enough, date back more than half a century to a relatively unknown mathematician and computer scientist named Woody Bledsoe.
1: I was reading this article about Woody Bledsoe. He said, I could see it or a part of it in a small camera that would fit on my glasses that would whisper into my ear the names of my friends and acquaintances as I met them on the street. For UC, my computer friend had the ability to recognize faces. And it's even more eerie that, you know, 60 years later that I'm just sitting and reading this paragraph and I see it like exactly fit with what we're doing at Envision.
0: I'm Julia Furlan, and this is Ahead of Its Time, an original podcast from Setup, a show about the tech underdogs no one realized would shape the future. Setapp's versatile app subscription service empowers you to step into a new era of productivity. Kartik first learned about Woody Bloodsoe years after starting Envision. And in all likelihood, he would probably still have no idea who Woody Bloodsoe was or what he did if it weren't for a man named Sean Raviv. One morning a few years ago, Sean Revive woke up and made a beeline for his computer. The Atlanta-based journalist had an idea for a short story about facial recognition, which came to him in a dream. He got started by researching the history of facial recognition. And what he would soon discover was more interesting than any piece of fiction he could have dreamt up.
2: And I started Googling and I found some very, very weird reference on like a really strange website to Woody Bledsoe and as being like the founder of facial recognition, but there was very little out there. There was almost nothing to read about him that was interesting on the web, basically nothing at all.
0: Soon after he started his research, Sean was in a coffee shop when his phone rang. The voice said,
2: Hi, I'm Woody Bledsoe's son. You sent me an email?
0: As Sean stepped out to take the call, Woody's son began to tell him an intriguing story. Early one summer morning in 1995, Woody's son stopped by his dad's home in Austin, Texas for a visit. When he arrived, he saw Woody was sitting in his garage, door open, waiting for him. At this point in his life, Woody was extremely sick, his body ravaged by a degenerative nerve disease called ALS. Woody's mind, however, was still sharp, but the disease had robbed him of his speech, so he needed to communicate using a small whiteboard.
2: He walked his son to a safe in his garage and he wrote down the combination for his son he couldn't believe his dad still remembered it uh he opened it and there was a bunch of old rotting papers essentially you know he never knew what was in there and his dad started like he said pull them out you know a bunch at a time and then he started looking through them then he would hand the papers back to his son he felt like a lot like indiana jones searching through like you know some archive uh with like lost papers You know, his son, like, sort of looked at some of the papers. He saw, like, the stamps that said classified on them. But he didn't exactly know what was in those papers because the dad didn't want him to read them. He told him to pull out a garbage can, a metal garbage can. He, you know, started putting the papers in there, and then he lit it all on fire.
0: After hearing his story, Sean realized he needed to do some serious digging. He knew Woody spent most of his career teaching at the University of Texas, so he thought he'd start there. Soon, he discovered a vague list of papers under Woody's name stored in the university's archives. So Sean decided to send away for a few documents. What he saw when they arrived floored him.
2: It was amazing, it was like, it had all these amazing imagery of people's faces marked up with tons of mathematical equations that I I couldn't even begin to understand. But there was also hundreds, if not thousands, of photos in these papers of people with marked up faces people with different lights and shadows turning their faces. And a lot of these photos were in black and white. Some of them were in color, and they were just beautiful. They could be art.
0: Sean's next step was to track down former students and colleagues who knew Woody back in the early 60s. This is where a deeper story began to emerge. A story about Woody's secret career in the years before he joined the University of Texas.
2: He met a man named Ivan Browning. It's like Brilliant polymath who was just good at all sorts of sciences had all these crazy inventions, uh, and they started working on um, character recognition together or automated pattern recognition, like trying to get computers to recognize patterns. Like they were working with letters specifically, but it could work for any written pattern um, or typed pattern. It was really, really like advanced, and they were successfully able to get a computer to recognize letters.
0: They understood the significance of the breakthrough right away. So together, in 1960, they started a company called Panoramic Research in Palo Alto, California, long before it was the tech hub that it is today. Panoramic set out to move the world and explore ideas other companies found too silly. They worked on inventions like a robotic lawnmower, a dog-powered vehicle, and a pen that could translate light into sound.
2: They were like this group of like crazy people. They were like just trying to explore everything. And uh, amongst those things were like working on their pattern recognition stuff. And they just, and they realized it doesn't have to be just letters. It doesn't have to be numbers or shapes. They could also be faces. He was just really big on artificial intelligence. He gave a speech once and he talked about this this visions that he had of com- computers that could do what we do. That could, you know, that could look at a person and tell you who they are of people wearing glasses, like Google Glass type glasses. And uh, yeah, he was just like, had these really advanced visions back then.
0: The company struggled right out of the gate. Pitch after pitch to big-name corporations were met with a steady stream of rejection. So, without corporate contracts, Woody had to find another source of revenue to sustain his company. And this is where the plot thickens.
2: So, at first had this vague notion that Woody did work for the CIA in one of these biographies that one of his friends wrote. But I did a lot of digging. I I dig through 39 boxes at the University of Texas in Woody's archives. And so he apparently did not burn every reference to his CIA work. Digging through all of them, it was just really clear that some of these companies that he was getting hired to work for were CIA front companies paying Woody and Panoramic to do facial recognition research.
0: Woody started by trying to get a computer to recognize 10 faces. So he input the photos of 10 people into the computer and then input another 10 pictures of the same people to see if the computer could match them. Woody quickly realized just how complex and elusive this technology would be.
2: There was sort of too much variability in a face and in a photo of a face. If you think about it, like, you can look at a picture of the same person, two different photos, and they look pretty similar to us because we're human. We can see that they have the same nose, the same shape, mouth, the same eyes, same hair. But a computer you know, just can't instinctually do that. They have to get through things like the lighting in the photo, shadows in the photo, the way the face is turned, the emotions of the face. Like if you're angry and if, and if you're happy, you just look like a different person to a computer. You look like a different thing, a different shape. But it was a huge failure. They weren't able to do it.
0: The computers of the time just weren't powerful enough for the task. Still, Woody asked the CIA for money to continue his work. And the CIA said yes. That's when Woody changed tactics. For his first attempt, he tried to make the process completely automated. This time, he would take what he called a man-machine approach, which would give the computer some human assistance. The team began mapping coordinates for different facial features in each photo, including the eyes, nose, and eyebrows.
2: They used this to try and recognize, at first, I think about 50 faces, and it worked pretty well. They, were, they tried to cross-match a photo of Woody um, when he was younger, from 1945, to, to a photo of Woody when he When he was older in 1965, but he looked totally different in those photos, except to a human. He had lost so much hair, his face and like jowls looked different, and the computer just couldn't recognize him. And so overall, the second attempt was much more successful than the first, but also still a failure. The computer couldn't do what Woody wanted it to do.
0: By then, Woody had good reason to look older. His funding was drying up, and the stress of his work while trying to support his family left him emotionally and financially drained. In 1966, Woody left Panoramic and took a job at the University of Texas. Shortly after, Panoramic went out of business. A year later, while living in Austin, Woody got one more chance to work on facial recognition technology. He was asked to develop a computer system that would allow law enforcement to match mugshots with photos of potential criminals. Woody went to work and this time he gave himself a difficult goal he wanted his software to match faces faster than a person could who did it manually
2: so like the the fastest human took six hours to finish the task but the computer which was called a CDC 3800 completed the same task in about three minutes so it was a a hundredfold reduction in time so the humans were actually better at coping with, with head rotation and like the bad photographic quality of some of the photos but the computer was really really good much better at seeing the difference between people who had aged. But it was a really great success, the greatest success of Woody's career. And it was the last time he ever did an an official project on facial recognition. By
0: 1970, the secret nature of Woody's facial recognition work came back to haunt him when a paper about facial recognition technology was released by another researcher, This new research was celebrated by Scientific American magazine as the most cutting-edge facial recognition technology of the time. But as far as Woody could tell, it was years behind what he had accomplished at Panoramic. He said he was frustrated that a, quote, second-rate study would be seen as the best facial recognition system available. Unfortunately for Woody, because of the top secret nature of his research, he couldn't tell people about his work, and he never got the credit he deserved.
2: None of his facial recognition papers were published, and That alone is probably proof that he was working for someone that didn't want them published. But, you know, they were CIA-funded papers, and so they just sort of got forgotten. They were disappeared. I was able to find drafts of them in his boxes in the University of Texas. I guess he was too proud of them to just destroy all of them. And his work in facial recognition was completely forgotten by the time it sort of picked up and became like a really important part of society uh, like it is today.
0: When Woody died in 1995, tributes poured in. Friends and colleagues praised his work in mathematics and his work in automated reasoning. Not one of them mentioned his groundbreaking work at Panoramic, which is the basis for much of the facial recognition tech we have today. It would be another 25 years before Sean Revee's story in Wired magazine would spread awareness of Woody's work and what it means to today's computer vision and facial recognition innovators. For Kartik Kanan, Woody's story was an eye-opener.
1: Yeah, no, I think it it happens a lot with AI pioneers where, you know, they're working on technology like this, but it's not something that they end up getting credit for because they're just ahead of their time. You know, when when I was reading the article about Woody and the work that, you know, he's done is sort of the work that everyone else is building on top of right now. That's just how science evolves, I think.
0: Until recently, Woody Bledsoe was an invisible pioneer in what became a massive industry. But thanks to Sean Raviv, his legacy is now out in the open for all to see. And Karthik's Envision glasses are the latest chapter in that legacy. The software works in a new generation of Google Glass, which has a tiny camera lens embedded in the front of the frames.
1: So the, now these are the glasses, right? So I'm wearing them. And then uh, I am gonna. Ho- I hope they, you can hear stuff. Great. Right, so now I'm just going to go ahead and swipe on the glasses and it just, you know, speaks out all the different uh, categories. Read. There is read, for example, where you can read text. Find. So it's got find. So you got find people, find objects in, within the find category. Identify. There's also identify, which is basically used to identify uh, like different types of objects around you. It's just got a lot of general identification functions. Describe scene. So I'm gonna describe scene and then I just do like a two-finger double tap. So you can hear it processing. A laptop on a
0: table.
1: It said a laptop on a table.
0: Envision Glasses are effectively an AI assistant for the blind and visually impaired. They tell the user what's nearby, give visual information about an object and the user's environment, and, of course, they recognize faces. The venture was born in 2015 when Kartik was invited to speak about software development at a school for the blind in India. He brought along a friend who's also named Kartik. Kartik Mahadevan. To keep things clear, I'm gonna call his friend Mahadevan. They were asked about career paths within their vocations and what problems they could solve with their work.
1: And just as like a fun experiment, we decided to throw the question back at the kids. And we asked them, you know, what kind of problems would they like to solve? Some people said the textbooks that they have or generally the material that they come across in their life, it's becoming really difficult for them to read through that stuff. They want to be able to solve it in in some way using technology. Uh, some people said that they want to be able to like just navigate their environments more independently, know if people are coming towards them or know if there is something in front of them. It was a very eye-opening conversation. For some reason, that talk really stayed with us and we felt that there has to be something that, you know, we could do. And we just started to talk about random ideas.
0: During the bus ride home, Kartik and Mahadevan began brainstorming. AI was hitting its stride. New applications were starting to be as good as humans at more and more tasks, including the ability to identify faces. Soon after, Mahadevan headed to the Netherlands to start his master's. When he arrived, he needed a topic for his thesis. He thought back to the talk he and Kartik gave at the School for the Visually Impaired, and after a bit of deliberation, decided to do his thesis on how AI, computer vision, and facial recognition could be used to help the blind. Kartik was immediately intrigued by his friend's idea. So the two decided to team up with Mahadevan on research and Kartik on building the app, an app which would serve two distinct functions. It would read text, and it would recognize objects and faces. Kartik's first day working on the project was spent at a Starbucks in Bangalore. From morning until late at night, he read studies and papers on facial recognition.
1: It was the first time I I remember that I actually took my time to study a human face. You know, I've seen a human face, and I've Lived with it all my life, but it's the first time I'm noticing. Okay, so the distance between the eyebrows, for example, or the length of the nose, or, you know, someone has a pursed lip. And I still remember, like, really zooming into like my face and, like, you know, like, and, and I wrote this little code that put all these red dots over my face uh, to really understand the relationships between different things.
0: After a few weeks, Kartik had built a crude prototype. It was a white screen with a blue button press the button and it would take a picture with an automated voice describing what it saw. At the same time, in the Netherlands, Mahadevan interviewed people with visual impairments, asking them to test the prototype and provide feedback. A member of his thesis group shared it with a few people and those people quickly shared it with others. Soon, the app had hundreds of beta testers. Suddenly, there was a torrent of feedback, allowing Kartik to quickly refine and improve the prototype. Eventually, Mahadevan reached the end of his thesis, so the two reluctantly decided that it was time to end the project.
1: I still remember sitting down and just composing a very quick email uh, saying, hey, thanks a lot for being part of this journey. It's been, you know, super amazing. And we hit send and wake up the next morning and then I literally find like my inbox like with just like 200 replies. And it was just popping, you know, it was like, pung, pung, pung. It was like I could hear the the notification on, on my phone all through morning. And every one of them, actually it took out the time to write some really thoughtful stuff. I remember this one particularly old user who was like, Yeah, sometimes, you know, my relatives meet up and then, then my grandkids also come And so what happens is like, you know, the mother shares pictures of all the different grandkids. And uh, she would tell me that every time she shares a photo on WhatsApp, she just takes the image from WhatsApp, puts it into the Envision app, and she knows who is in the picture. And and the Envision app also gives her like a caption, looks like, you know, so-and-so looking at the camera and smiling, right? And so she's like, all of a sudden, I'm able to like actually be part of the conversation. And there were stories like this, and it became like, okay, it almost felt very difficult for us to shut it down, right? I think there was one or two people who actually put the idea of us doing this full-time and starting this as a company.
0: Kartik decided to leave India to continue working on Envision with Mahadevan in the Netherlands. There, they ramped up their work. After countless hours researching, talking to users, refining and improving, they were finally ready. In late 2018, they released the Envision app. Two days later, and with no promotion whatsoever, they had 4,000 users. Then came an email from Google. It said they'd been nominated for a Google Play Award, and the nominees were invited to attend a big conference in San Francisco where the winner would be announced. Envision was up against some pretty steep competition, including another facial recognition platform that had over 200,000 users. So Kartik never really gave much thought to the award itself. He was more interested in meeting some tech entrepreneurs, seeing some sites, and enjoying California.
1: I still remember I right, was not that well-dressed for the occasion. I was probably the worst-dressed person in that room. I remember I was just standing there. I was live-streaming the event uh, to the other Karthik, you know, back here in the Netherlands. I was just like, you know, I was on a video call with him. I was putting it on, and I was just showing him, yeah, I see Envision's logo's coming up there. And the next thing they say is like, yeah, the Google Play Award, the winner's Envision. And I start to freak out because then I'm like, okay, wait, like, did we really win it? And then I could hear all these expletives coming from the other side of the video call. And then I got the call, walked up the stage.
0: The contacts Kartik made at the conference paid off. When Google announced they would release a new edition of Google Glass in 2019, Kartik persuaded them to ship him a pair before they hit the market. Incorporating their facial recognition software into a wearable, was the next logical evolution for the company. And it turns out Google Glass was exactly the hardware Kartik and his team needed to take their next step. Today, between the app and the glasses, Envision is making the world more accessible for 40,000 people who use their technology. It's helping each of them live a more independent life and experience the world in a way Woody Blood so hoped might one day be possible. its ominous beginnings as a secret CIA-funded project, computer vision and facial recognition have inspired controversy. There's really no shortage of problematic applications that bring up important questions around things like privacy and surveillance. And that won't go away anytime soon. But Sean Raviv reminds us that no technology is inherently good or bad. It's what we do with it that really matters.
2: Facial recognition technology is, without a doubt, one of the most frightening technologies on Earth. It can also be a really useful technology, and has been. And uh, my hope is that it's only used for good things, you know, in the future. And things like helping the blind see is one of those positive things.
0: For Kartik Kanan, the ultimate goal is the same as it was when Woody Bloodsoe first started working on facial recognition back in the 60s. To one day build something that can recognize the subtleties of the human face with the ease and speed of our own mind. And Kartik believes that when that day arrives, the people who will benefit the most are the people he's already helping today.
1: We're just really scratching the surface of it. We realize that 90% of the information is visual, and there's so many visual relationships that the brain is able to form in like a fraction of a second. And that visual fidelity is is what we eventually want to capture with AI. So. AI, in that sense, is like the perfect fit for helping visually impaired people because AI is a tool that doesn't expect the world around it to change. It takes the world as it is, and it really tries to interpret it in a way that can help visually impaired people.
0: I'm Julia Furlan, and this is Ahead of Its Time, an original podcast from Setapp. Working on your next big thing? Setapp's productivity toolkit will help you stay focused and get stuff done. Head over to setup.com to see if Setup can help you bring your ideas to life.